0: What is good food? This series will crack open that massive question and put it back together again using anthropology, geography, history, politics, economics and other delicious disciplines. Have your ears caressed and your taste buds tingled for the next 20 minutes. Today's discussion is being held across the continents with speakers joining us from Sweden and the US. Calling in from Sweden we have Camelia Diwan Camelia defended her PhD in Social Anthropology and Environment at the University of London, Birkbeck and SOAS, in September 2017. She is currently teaching at the Department of Social Anthropology, Stockholm University. Her PhD thesis investigates how the idea of climate change shapes development interventions and to what extent they correspond with the concerns of coastal populations in Bangladesh. Her research applies insights gathered from long-term ethnographic fieldwork to deconstruct discourses which position Bangladesh as a victim of climate change. Joining Camellia all the way from the US, we have Megan Lama. Megan Lama is currently pursuing her PhD in anthropology at the University of Exeter, with a focus on rural-urban relations in contemporary America through the lens of food and farming. She is also the Director of Regional Food programs at Glynwood, a New York-based non-profit that works to develop a sustainable regional food system. She has worked for Slow Food USA, received her MA from SOAS, and knows an ungodly amount of food-related trivia. All our podcasts in this series are tackling the question, what is good food? In today's episode, Camelia and Megan will be thinking through how this question relates to farming practices.
1: Hi, so I'm Megan Larmer, and I'm here with uh, Camelia, and I'm going to talk just a little bit about the research that I'm just just now embarking on uh, in the Hudson Valley region of New York. I'm here as an engaged anthropologist. Uh, the region is really working to build an image based on the premise that good food, which we're talking about today, um, is is fundamentally food that is produced locally and in a careful and artisanal manner. Um, This echoes, of course, with larger trends that we've seen all across the country and all uh, across the West. There is some overt and implicit morality attached to this idea of good food, which I'm really excited to to dive into as we talk about um, food and farming practices in the two very different places of uh, Bengal and New York's Hudson Valley.
2: Thanks, Megan. It's really great to be here with you today, even if it's virtual. Um, uh, I think our research at, around good food is, actually has a lot of um, similarities and uh, connections. Uh, one of the unanticipated but uh, intriguing findings on my PhD fieldwork was the widespread concern of bheja foods. Pejal in Bengali means impure, spoiled, adulterated. And Pejal food denotes that uh, there's an impurity born from adding external substances that diminish the quality of the food itself, whether it be too much synthetic and nitrogen as fertilizer, um, poisonous pesticides, formalin to prevent rot of fish and fruit, uh, chemicals to ripen uh, fruit in advance, um, fillers such as brick powder and spices or motor oil and cooking oil, um, and unregulated colorings used to make enhance the colors of different fruits. Um, in addition to all these nasty chemicals, uh, a lot of the pesticides used by Bangladeshi farmers are banned by the WHO and are described as obsolete, such as endrin uh, and DDT. Um, these banned pesticides and contaminated fertilizers are easily smuggled into Bangladesh and they've been found to contain heavy metals. Uh, leaving traces in rice and other food items. Uh, one of my main interlocutors is an older woman called Fupu, and she suggests that these agrochemicals have made the environment toxic and that all food today is pheja. So actually, in my research, I look at the opposite of good food through that of pejal food. While good food is maybe the norm, it's the uh, corrupted, adulterated, impure foods that's the everyday reality of my interlocutors and many Bangladeshis.
1: I think this is a really interesting uh, similarity between what we are both looking at as we consider good food and and the way our research speaks to good food, Um, in that I would argue the the most common food in America today certainly um, is highly commodified, is moving along a very abstract production chain that is quite opaque to most people, whereas uh, what have often been called the new agrarian or the advocates of these localized food systems in america um, are trying to attach a certain morality a certain um, weight to foods that are produced in a more transparent production chain in a more embedded way that is tied to landscapes and uh one of the themes of of my own research that i'm most keenly interested in is um, inspired by the Uh, thinker and writer from the American Midwest, Aldo Leopold, who wrote many decades ago um, that his key interest was in the relationships of humans to each other and humans to the landscape. And I I think that both of our our topics speak to that in a way, to the the embeddedness of food production in the land. Um, One of of the things I'd like to touch on is that the way livestock is produced is, is quite central to the Hudson Valley region and has been the entry point for this beginning of my research, um, in part because animals are so contentious. The production of animals and whether or not we choose to eat animals can be a really uh, morally laden question, whether, that, whether animal meat is indeed good food um, or not. And like the Bajal food in Bengal, most of the meat produced in the U.S. is produced in confinement operations. So very intensive, very compact spaces um, where many, many animals are being raised on primarily a grain or soybean diet. Uh, And particularly ruminants like cows, lamb, sheep they're not biologically built to consume grain. They are biologically built, their stomachs are made to uh, consume grass. So, there is a growing movement called holistic grazing or holistic livestock management um, that is a very calculated, very carefully managed way of raising animals exclusively on pasture. Um, It mimics uh, what we would, what its its proponents would think of as an idealized natural system, where the herd moves in a way that is managed by humans, that um, in this idealized natural system would have been managed by the pressures of predators, like wolves, for example. So very dense packs are moved along the grass in a rather um, quick quick rotation. And in this sort of paradigm of holistic holistic animal management, the goodness again sort of points to this moral idea that the animals are um, experiencing the, the natural behaviors that would give them a greater quality of life, uh, but also that there is a real ecological benefit to this. And the research into this is fairly new, only really gaining traction in the last 7 to 10 years um, that this type of management gives back to the soil and in fact uh, puts vitality into the soil whereas you would think of the CAFO management, the high commodity meat production as being an extremely extractive uh, means of animal production.
2: megan you really highlight how your research is important in order for us to understand good food Um, i particularly find it interesting how you bring up that grazing cows help improve the soil quality this is something that was a very strong sentiment expressed by my rural interlocutors um we they don't have the same industrial uh livestock production in bangladesh yet although the fao are trying to promote it um Actually, um, a lot of the cows in uh, my field site have been replaced by modern agricultural technologies and cropping patterns. So fallow land, uh, when um, fodder was made freely available to uh, villagers, um, has now been replaced by intensive cropping of tiger prawns or uh, dry season crops, so fewer people can afford to have cows. But prior to the 1970s Green Revolution, when high-yielding variety rice and synthetic fertilizers and pesticides were introduced, the soil was actually mainly fertilized with uh, dung from all of these grazing cows, um, along with silt that would flood the wetlands during the monsoon, and it would be filled with fertile silt. Both of these organic matter um, fertilizers were seen to contain lots of shokti, and shakti or shakti in Sanskrit means power um, and uh, fertility, soul, fertility, strength. Um, in Hinduism, shakti is the primordial cosmic energy that gives birth to the universe. Shakti is also the name for the mother goddess. And uh, the farmers I interviewed explained that organic matter fertilizer like manure and compost consists of an assemblage of macro-micronutrients that a plant requires um these fertilizers are filled with earthworms and other microorganisms essential for soil fertility in contrast what they now used is synthetic nitrogen a cheap one called urea um, and that means that they're only replenishing the soil with one of many different uh, nutrients and the farmers were saying that these synthetic fertilizers like urea they lack shokti and they actually suck the earth dry to quote them uh, and by doing so, it, the soil is made inhospitable to earthworms that are needed for Shakti. So, with less Shakti in the soil, there's less Shakti in food and ultimately less Shakti in humans. Uh, most of my rural interlocutors actually argued. Um, and in terms of goodness, it's interesting that. Maybe there's some relationship between the ideas of Shakti as a life force and micronutrients. Both are invisible to the eye, and the soil itself is a universe of micronutrients, microorganisms, and earthworms. Um, for example, Anna Singh suggests that different species influence each other in open ended assemblages. Both Ingold and Singh use fungi as a basis to illustrate how organisms and nature are entangled. Um, and the multitude of ways in which they interact. And we don't st- fully understand the assemblages of species in the soil or to what extent the concerns regarding the loss of micronutrients, microorganisms and shakti may potentially be connected. Um, and this is quite important in terms of discussions of good food because my interlocutors plead that the lo- lack of shakti in food uh, makes younger generations weaker and more prone to illness.
1: This is, uh, Camelia, the concept of Shakti is one of the, the things in your research that I find most exciting and most compelling because it resonates so strongly with the um, anecdotal evidence that I've, I've gathered from the communities that I work with. And in contemporary America, while we don't have any um, pervasive language, any shared language to talk about the invisible vitality, of the soils the invisible vitality of the foods that we eat Um, there is a real proliferation of uh, attempts to name it Um, there are references to bio nutrients and and this concept that the micronutrients in the soil will add uh, a nutritional and flavor quality to um, to our plants to our crops that we eat or the concept of biodynamic farming which is still considered um, quite fringe though the farmers who, who practice it uh, often point to their, their embedded experience of the land and, and their experience that this biodynamic management um, is giving real, real flavor benefits and real crop productive benefits to their farming practices. Um, so, I find this a really, a really exciting idea uh, that there is a, a philosophical universality among your interlocutors to describe this invisible force, um, whereas we quite struggle for that in America with a, a much stronger reliance on um, in the empirical sciences and, and evidences through chemistry and um, put less reliance into to this visceral experience. So, um, i would I would argue that that is quite a difficult, the empirical sciences and the chemistry and the microbiology that point to the importance of um, earthworms and micronutrients and microorganisms in our landscapes and in our soils. Uh, I would argue that the layman can ac- access those by engaging the senses. Um, and taste is certainly a particularly key sense when we're talking about, food and how we determine the goodness and the vitality of food. So, uh, taking again the example of livestock production and meat that I've been working with, most of the commonly available meats in America taste very mild. Um, This is in part because they are fed primarily a grain-based diet, quite uniform um, commodity corn and commodity soybean uh, producing a fattier animal, Though again being highly detrimental to the overall health of these animals. Um, Animals raised in this commodity system are often slaughtered quite young as well. Uh, This is both for um, the efficiency of of spending less time and less resources in raising them, but also because the grain diet uh, causes such ulcerations and ill health for them, ulcerations in their stomach and ill health generally, that they could not live uh, much, much longer than the, the period in which they are raised. By contrast, Ruminants who are raised on grassland, um, because they are using more of their muscles, those muscles develop a deeper flavor, because they are consuming a wider variety of grasses. Um, the flavor is also complex. the The terroir of their landscape, you could say, is is indeed translated into the flavor of that meat, giving it a. Um, people have described it as a meatier taste, a gamier taste. Uh, there's a depth and complexity of flavor that is not considered um, very desirable, frankly, by the majority of, of American consumers at this point. So, um, I've I've also been engaged with and worked with many advocacy groups that are trying to find a way to shift the American palate to connect that invisible vitality of the landscape, to connect the vitality of animals who are raised uh, outside of these high confinement operations but are raised on a, a, a sort of idyllic pastoral landscape, as you might be picturing it in your minds right now, um, to train our palates to enjoy these deep and complex flavors by connecting them with these uh, moral ideas of animal health and of uh, landscape vitality, and building a premium market for that. So uh, I think the the Connection to the invisibility and to flavor there is really, really interesting to me, and I, I am fascinated that your interlocutors have um, made that connection already. And I, I wonder if you could speak a bit about um, about how they connect that to. What happens to a little bit elaborate perhaps a bit on how they connect that to what happens when they eat good food or when they eat bad food
2: thanks for that megan that's so interesting and i i appreciate the uh, entire um you know trying to change people's palates to appreciate the complexity of um, these tastes um i've experienced it myself sometimes but um it's interesting because also in the US, you do have this entire industrialized food production system, whilst in Bangladesh, in these areas where I did my field work, this hasn't really come across yet. So actually, people prefer the complexity. So... In terms of shokti, they say the food with shokti tastes more while food without shokti makes them cry. So high yielding variety rice grown with urea, they can't eat without having lots of condiments and curries and so on. Whilst um, a local heritage rice variety uh, just with some salt uh, tastes like a piece of heaven. Um, So that's how they talk about the differences in these foods. And I actually also find it interesting like how we go beyond the invisibility um, and the intersection with lots of new research and the sciences. Like there's been a new study with how actually bitter fruits and vegetables have more phytonutrients, but we've been breeding varieties that are less bitter um, and with less taste because that's what the consumer wants. Um, Maybe there is a connection because... My interlocutors say that with this, with less taste in food, there's less shokti and people are becoming ill. And it's also quite interesting in a culture where identity is so food-centered. So the Bengali proverb goes, rice and fish makes a Bengali. And this is also tied to these ideas, like these person-centric ideas that you are of your soil. You are what you eat, I guess, in Western terms. But not also uh, you are... The food from which this uh, you are the soil from where the food comes from, um, and adding to these ideas of visibility, taste uh, and shakti is this uh, element of behjal. So these adulterated chemicals do not belong. Um, and if rice and fish makes a Bengali, what does it mean when Bengalis eat behjal fish and behjal rice? Um, and it's interesting because behjal isn't just adulterated and impure, it also denotes, um, in this sense, the, a lot of them would say Pejjal food makes beat people, to say that people now today are morally corrupt. So there's a lot of symbolism going on here. Um, and then there's the physical effects of the Pejjal food. So you have uh, a lot of issues with livers and kidneys and stomach illnesses increasing. Uh, the changing diets, where there's a preference for a richer diet. So, it's they're um, eating a lot of these um, uh, rice and sugars and oils. Uh, and you also see that non-communicable diseases like heart disease and diabetes, type 2 and cholesterol are increasing, as well as um, cancers and strokes are seen as being on the rise. The problem is, though, that because there's no functioning universal public health care in Bangladesh, other than like whatever donors and NGOs fund, there's no national monitoring and measurement system to actually see how extensive this is. So, although taste and memory are important, these food scares aren't just about that. It's a real fear about the physical, biological effects of food becoming actively contaminated with things that are dangerous to human health. Um, and this I kind of want to relate to uh, these ideas of uh, food anxiety as a moral panic when society changes, with anthropologists drawing on Ulrich Beck's Risk Society. Because this isn't this isn't just symbolic and nostalgic, but it has real health and environmental consequences.
1: I think that that really that really resonates as well. And um, one of the the challenges I think for uh, establishing rural food economies and regional food economies in the U.S. is that we have such an overabundance of um, nutritional advice and nutritional guidelines to follow that are often Uh, In really stark contrast and um, I've seen and and many other scholars have also noted a move towards uh, trying to embed that food, trying to create a more transparent um, chain. Heather Paxson refers to the artisanal cheeses that she studies um, as unfinished commodities, so things that have that are purposefully um showing the marks of the place in which they are made and this strong desire for authenticity i think uh, is a a move um towards sort of trusting your health to your soil and your your landscape and a, a lack of trust in the nutritional advice that is um so common and and proliferates so wildly. And I think this also plays out in popular culture when you uh, observe the intense popularity of TV shows like Chef's Table or um, personalities like Anthony Bourdain who uh, make their make their identity on it sort of travel into the source and finding out really how is this food made, really where was it made, Um, which makes me think of a a workshop that we held here at Glenwood where I work, uh, where we recruited chefs to come to the farm um, to slaughter sheep and to participate in the slaughter and cooking of sheep that had been raised on this farm. Um, the reason, the reasoning that we and other other advocacy groups use to turn towards these chefs is that they can serve as a proxy for consumers. Um, that when they experience the vitality of that sheep, the vitality of of a life that is lived fully on. Um, a farm that is managed quite differently from most of the livestock producing farms in the country. Uh, the the end of that animal's life quite dramatically reinforces the the vitality that was within that animal and makes them think differently about um, the way their food ought to be produced in a way that uh, is both both symbolic but also incredibly visceral, very materially real. Um, And the the hope here is that chefs will then be able to use that social capital, which they've established, um, to make food, to make meat that is produced in this embedded, in this vital way, uh, good taste. So the same way that fast food here, high-fat foods, have um, crossed the line into being in in terribly bad taste, uh, we are trying to move these these artisanally produced and carefully produced products into the realm of good taste. which certainly points to to real challenges with accessibility real challenges with um, accusations of elitism that are not not ill-founded accusations Uh, and the great paradox of the move towards cochina povera and the food of of um, simplicity and of poverty in high cuisine in america that now those foods those whole foods are actually quite inaccessible to the the poor um And less financially and less socially mobile people whose health would also be greatly improved uh, by consuming them so it's it's really a a a tricky a tricky place and I think the um the parallels and the inverses are very very interesting to examine between our two field sites
2: Mm, no that's uh, super interesting Megan and um because the food situation of the poorest of the poor in the U.S. and in Bangladesh are so vastly different, um, because, uh, my interlocutors are among the poorest of the poor, um, but the kuchina povra is healthy, right? They eat steamed vegetables, a varied diet, um, spinach and so many locally grown vegetables, um, so, but there, thin and slim is seen as poor whilst plump and overweight is a beauty idea, which is extremely worrying considering um, non-communicable diseases. Um, how we could use these perspectives of good food that comes out from our research in our daily lives?
1: Absolutely, I mean, I, I think the, the simplest takeaway um, that I have for my own eating habits uh, is to eat less meat in general and to prioritize eating meat of a, a higher quality. And that has been produced in, um, in a location and in a place that that I feel is uh, contributing to the overall health of our environment, and that is contributing to the health of our rural communities by uh, providing farmers with an appropriate appropriate compensation for that. Um, though I want to be very clear that I have, uh, I am exercising quite a lot of privilege in being able to make that choice. Um, I think, I think, in general, perhaps a, a greater attention um, to the source of your food is really the most the most that we can ask of people. Um, but it's a complicated question. I, I intend to spend some years uh, continuing to unravel it. What What lessons have you taken from your research that uh could be applied to yours or to other people's daily lives Camelia. Mm, uh
2: in the context of bangladesh um and the problems with peja foods and environmental unsustainability um i think it's important to critique the ways in which food is reduced to a mere profit-making commodity and the dangers this brings in particular con- context where enforcements are lacking as in bangladesh so um good food in this case is the food that is pure, that is not adulterated with substances that do not belong, and food that is filled with shokti. And talking about adulteration and lacking enforcement, I want to highlight that it's not just a question of organic versus industrial agriculture, as we usually talk about it in the West, but what happens when enforcement of regulation is lacking, and in a context of lacking public health care infrastructure.
1: Excellent well i I think uh i'm so inspired by the work the work that you do and uh really really grateful to have had this time to chat with you about good food and all the things it could mean
2: no the same it's been i I love i really look forward to reading more of your work as it progresses so we should keep on talking
1: certainly yeah and thank you to to the soas food uh center for making us making this transcontinental conversation possible
2: (laughs) yes thank you so much okay thanks all right
1: thanks bye
0: thanks to megan and camelia for such a fascinating and thought-provoking conversation please tune in again next time for another discussion centering around the question what is good food